Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, that second wind. Second wind, chapter 4. But it so happened, when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Senballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, For from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for this passage. I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. I pray today, Lord, that you would encourage us. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us all who need it a second wind. I pray today, Father, that whatever discourages, whatever knocks us down, whatever knocks the wind out of us, Lord, you'd help us to see it for what it is. And that you'd, uh, you'd just get us past that, we pray. So bless this message. Encourage us by it. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help me today, I pray, to, to preach as I ought to. I pray, Lord, that uh, every word that is said here would be just what you want. And I pray that there would be nothing else said. 
that it would not be my opinion, my thoughts, my biases, your word, and your message for us today. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all seen it. We've all read it. We've all seen these situations in a movie or in a, in a, in a book, maybe, where we have two individuals, one bad guy, one good guy, and they are locked in a tremendous conflict. You have seen this. And the bad guy seems to be getting the upper hand on the good guy. And he's beating him to a pulp and smashing him down. And as he seems to be absolutely going to win the victory over the, over the good guy, you see the family or the friends of the good guy off on the side and they're, they're looking on and they're, they're, they're so distressed at the impending demise of this good guy. But then suddenly, from nowhere, and if, if, it's, if this is a movie we're talking about or a TV show, suddenly from nowhere, accompanied with a huge swelling of music, there usually is a point where the good guy suddenly finds this reserve of energy. Nobody knows where it comes from, and he leaps to his feet, and uh, the end is completely different when he actually is victorious over the bad guy. We've seen that many times, haven't we? Many times. This amazing recovery by the hero of a story when he or she seemed to be down and out for good. Rocky, the hero, is probably the quintessential uh, example of that sort of a thing. He looks down for a count when all of a sudden stands up, bloodied and battered, and manages to find an astonishing flurry of energy out of nowhere. Sometimes, sometimes this type of a recovery is referred to as getting a second wind. Anybody ever hear that phrase, getting a second wind? I looked that phrase up. According to Wikipedia, which knows everything, according to them, they say a second wind is a phenomenon in distance running, such as marathons or road running, whereby an athlete who is out of breath and too tired to continue suddenly finds the strength to press on at top performance with less exertion. Some other examples or, or uh, definitions that I read. Uh, the dictionary defines it as a person's ability to breathe freely during exercise after having been out of breath. It's a new strength or energy to continue something that is an effort. It's a feeling of new energy that allows you to continue to do something after you have begun to feel tired. It is renewed energy or endurance. I wonder, have you ever felt like you needed a second one? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were just, I don't know, out of gas, running on fumes, like you didn't have the energy to take another step? Now, I'm not talking at this point now in, in, in my sermon about physical depletion or physical exertion. Now, I'm talking about spiritually. Have you ever felt spiritually depleted, depleted that way, feeling like you're out of breath and too tired? To go on spiritually. I would have to say to you, thank you for that, amen, brother. I would have to say to you that uh, I have felt that way. And if I were honest, I would probably say that I probably feel that way just about every Monday of the world. Mondays are hard on preachers when you look back over the previous day. And so, I, you know, that, there's that question, have you ever experienced that? But another question that comes to my mind when I think about it is, why? Why would we ever experience that? Why would Christians ever feel the need for a second wind. I mean, aren't we supposed to be the winners? Aren't we supposed to be the one who are operating from a position of victory? Aren't we the ones to whom Billy Graham spoke when he said, it's going to be okay. I've read the end of the book. Everything's going to turn out all right. Isn't that us? 
And yet, I confess that I oftentimes feel the need for a second wind, and probably you do too. Well, I, I want to I hope that the, the little experience here from Nehemiah helps us with this today. Uh, the next time that we're running on fumes or the next time that we feel out of breath or we need a second wind, I want us to think about what happened here because I think they're an illustration of this and I think they can help us. If you remember, we studied the entire book of Nehemiah some time ago. I don't remember exactly when we did that. I, I turned that whole study into a book which is available if you're interested in that. But uh, we learned in that study, and I won't go back and review everything that's happening here, but we learned in that study that Nehemiah, this man Nehemiah, uh, was the governor over Jerusalem, and he was the one who was tasked with uh, overseeing the rebuilding of the wall. The children of Israel had been carried away captivity. Jerusalem had been torn to pieces. The wall was in rubble. And then they, they, they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And Nehemiah was overseeing that effort. They're trying to rebuild that Wall. And at the point we pick up in the narrative here in chapter 4, they're halfway done. We see that in verse number 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And at that halfway point, I think that's very significant, at that halfway point, two things happened here that I think kind of took the wind out of these people. Two things that I think are illustrative of, of, of the same kind of things that happen to us. Uh, and so maybe they can help us. As we look at what happened to them, uh, maybe it'll help us to understand why it sometimes happens to us. Two things that I think I see here. I think I see sometimes you need a second wind because the world fights you. I think that's one reason. It's what happened there. I think it happens to us. And I think the second reason is because sometimes you need a second wind because... Life just gets to you. So let's talk about those two things just for a minute this morning. Sometimes you need a second wind because the world will fight you. In this particular passage, in this particular situation there with Nehemiah and the, the, the children of Israel, there were, there were actually enemies. There were enemies aplenty, real people who wanted to do them harm. He talked about Sanballat. He was an enemy from Samaria to the north of Jerusalem. He talked about Tobiah. He was an enemy from Ammon. That's to the east of Jerusalem. He talked about uh, Geshem. He was an enemy from the south of Jerusalem. And he talked about the Ashdodites. They were the Philistines. And they were to the west of Jerusalem. So when you think about that and you get the picture in your mind, they were literally surrounded by enemies, just as Israel is today. Literally surrounded by enemies to the north, the south, the east, and the west, they found themselves confronted by opposition. And I think that's a picture sometimes of the way we feel. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the world is arrayed against you as a believer? They used some things against them that I think um, they use against us. The world uses against Christians. I think some people run out of breath as Christians because the world just has beat them down. Because... Other people, let's use that terminology, have beat them down. For example, these folks here, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and the others, they tried to beat them down with ridicule. Ridicule. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes you'll find people using that on you. I've certainly had it on me. Have you ever been made fun of for being a Christian? Have you ever had somebody at work or at school or family, friends, who uh, ridicule you for your stand? For Christ. We certainly see it all throughout the Bible. Goliath ridiculed David. Jesus 
was mocked in his trial and while he hung on the cross by the crowd. The writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews 11.36 says, Still others had trial of mockings. I, I don't know. I, I am unaware of any time in U.S. history. I mean, I'm 61 years old. I've lived for a while. Uh, and certainly in my lifetime, I don't remember a time when it has been so in vogue to ridicule Christians as it is now. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we, we hear it everywhere. We hear it from our politicians. We hear it from TV personalities. We hear it from the supposedly learned elite in our colleges and universities. It's the end thing to consider Christians as idiots, Christians as dupes, Christians as stupid and pitiful. And that's the way they're presented most of the time. And the fact is it takes the wind out of some. It takes the wind out of many. I mean, let's face it, how many never come to Christ in the first place because of the fear of ridicule of others? Or maybe just the actual ridicule of others. Friends or family make fun. Fear of what people will think holds them back. And they never trust Christ because of that ridicule. And even some who are saved, some who are born again, some who have trusted Christ, they never grow, they don't progress. They sit around like lumps. They might come to church on Sunday, but they never really amount to anything for him because they're paralyzed by the ridicule of others. They don't want to appear holier than now. They're the type who, they're, they're known to be a Christian when they come in here. But what about when they're at work? Because they don't want other people to know. Sanballat and his cohorts ridiculed, and it was knocking the wind out of these people. But they didn't stop with ridicule. They went beyond that. They went to a place where hopefully we don't have to see too much of, but they actually went to the point of threatening. They used fear. They actually threatened violence against them. Real persecution. You ever think about persecution? You ever think about the persecuted church around the world? I mean, persecution today in our world is at a higher level than it has ever been. Persecution of Christians. There have been more martyrs in just the last few years than there have been in the entirety of the history of Christianity put together. It's an astonishing truth which a lot of people don't really realize. According to Open Doors World Watch List, North Korea takes the top honor for being most oppressive to Christians. North Korea, number one. Christians in North Korea are persecuted terribly. But that's not the only country. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India are the ones that round out the top ten of persecuting of Christians. And lately we've been hearing more and more of believers being martyred in Nigeria. China is on the list for persecution. Not so much do we hear of martyrdom there, although I'm, I don't know if it doesn't happen, but uh, certainly oppression and imprisonment and things like that. And then just recently Burkina Faso. I don't even know where that is. But Burkina Faso has uh, raised, right, risen up on the list because of uh, martyring Christians. Many, many Christians are being murdered in Burkina Faso. Do you ever think about these things? This is the kind of persecution that was being threatened in, uh, to the people here in Israel. And uh, it's the kind of persecution that we think about when we read about persecution in our Bible. And even though it's, it's not necessarily here to that degree in America, it is growing. And we do read about things more and more. We do read about people who are truly being persecuted for their faith. And, of course, Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Jesus did say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
It's a reality. Just recently, we, uh, we started this thing called the FBC, Friendship Bible Church Book Club. And uh, we've been reading a book every month, and then we sit around and we talk about it. And it uh, doesn't sound like it's very fun, does it? But it's actually a lot of fun. And so I encourage you to come. The last book that we did was called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, by Nabil Qureshi, I believe is his name. Very interesting story. Uh, this man who is of Pakistani descent, he's an American citizen, but of Pakistani descent, raised, steeped in Islam, but uh, met a young man in college by the name of David Wood who started a witness to him. And the book is all about his journey and all about how his questions were constantly being put to David Wood and he would constantly try to witness to him and share. And eventually he found Christ. But one of the things that really comes out of that book is the persecution that people even in this country face. Islamic people turning to Christ, Catholic people turning to Christ, all kinds of different individuals uh, face this kind of thing. I don't want to belabor the point this morning, but it is a reality that, I don't know, maybe somebody in this room faces. Just as the Israelites on the wall face not only ridicule but real persecution and real fear, uh, we might too at various milestones along our Christian walk. And if that's you, if that's a, your experience, I can tell you, it can knock the wind out of you. They can knock the wind out of you. But the Israelites got the wind knocked out of them even in another way, which I think is even worse, and I think actually is something we all face. Most of us in this room are not going to face that last thing I discussed. Some might. But all of us are going to face this. Because not only sometimes do you need the second wind because the world is attacking you, but sometimes you need the second wind because life just gets to you. Life just gets to you. I mean, sometimes you just get tired. Is it just me? Sometimes you just get tired. Sometimes you get weary in the work of the Lord. That's what happened to the Israelites here. As a matter of fact, verse 10 is the the verse that I really want to concentrate on the most. Look what it says there. Judah said the strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much rubbish. We're not able to build the wall. The strength of the laborers is failing. We're getting wore out. We're getting tired. And you're going to get that way. You're going to get tired in the task. You're going to get weary in serving the Lord. It happens to the best of Christians. It even happened to the Apostle Paul. When he was describing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this long list of things that he had gone through for the cause of Christ, weariness was one of the things he mentioned, 2 Corinthians 11:27. It's often been stated that 80% of the work in any local church is done by 20% of the people who come there. It's always the same 20% that do the work. And so if you're one of those 20%, you're going to get tired. And you're going to get weary. Sometimes you just get tired. Sometimes there's something else, though. It's not just weariness. Sometimes it's discouragement. Maybe more. It's discouragement that knocks the wind out of you. I, I, just, I love this verse number 10. I, I love it. The the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Sometimes I feel like I live in verse number 10. Do you ever feel that way? There is just so much rubbish. Our world is filled with trouble. Our communities are filled with it. Our schools are filled with it. Our churches are filled with it. Our families, our friendships, the circles of influence we have, rubbish everywhere. And it can get discouraging. Wears you down sometimes. 
I remember, I'm reminded of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who, you know, anybody who knew who Jesus was, anybody who had reason to look forward to the future was John the Baptist. But there came a point in his life, even though he had personally spoken to and knew who Jesus was, there came a point in his life when he just got discouraged. The rubbish was piling up around him, and he got discouraged. And, of course, some of that rubbish was the fact that he was imprisoned and facing imminent execution. I mean, that would probably discourage any of us. But in his discouragement, he even sent disciples to Jesus and sent them to him saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He was just discouraged. I'm reminded of Elijah. Elijah, who had just had one of the greatest victories ever recorded in all of the Bible. Elijah, who with a prayer called down fire from heaven. what What a thing to do. Elijah, who after that defeated 400 prophets of the false god Baal. Tremendous victory. And then almost immediately thereafter, fell into this funk of discouragement and fled off into the wilderness and sat down under a tree and said, Lord, let me die. Discouraged. Discouraged. You and I are not immune from that. You and I are almost certainly going to face it. We're just like the Israelites. There is so much rubbish going on in my life that I simply cannot go on for Jesus. The fact is, sometimes we just get the wind knocked out of us. Sometimes we've run to the point of exhaustion and we feel like we have nothing left. So whether it's the world that's fighting us or whether it's, you know, just life and it's rubbish, it's beating us down, sometimes we need a second wind. And so I want to close this morning two ways. Two conclusions for the price of one today. How, How do you like that? Two ways. First, let me close this morning by pointing out how Nehemiah and and the people here dealt with this. How they kind of got a second wind. They kind of stuck to a threefold plan. And that plan is this. They prayed, and they fought, and they remembered who they served. Those three things. They prayed, and they fought, and they remembered who they served. Verse number 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. Verse number 18, every one of the workers had his sword girded at his side as he built. Verse number 14, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. So if we would be like them, when you feel the ridicule of the world, pray on. Fight on. And remember the Lord you serve. When you fear the persecution of the world, pray on. Fight on and remember the Lord you serve. When you have labored to the point of exhaustion for Jesus, when you look around and the piles are are, are laying all around you in this life, when you feel like you're completely buried by it, pray on, fight on, and remember the Lord whom you serve. When discouragement overwhelms, when you are overwhelmed by rubbish, pray on, fight on and remember. Runners in need of a second wind, have to run on. Fighters in need of a second wind have to fight on. And so too do we. We have to do that. That's what they did. It worked for them, and maybe it works for you if you're going through that. That's conclusion number one. But let me share another conclusion. Let me, let me share just some thoughts that come to my mind. Not so much from this passage, but just thoughts as I think about this and let this mull around in my silly brain. Here are just some thoughts that I want to share. First one is this. Getting a second wind is primarily a matter of the heart. Primarily a matter of the heart. 
I read, I read a bunch of definitions in the introduction today, but I left one out. You know why? Because I wanted to save it for this, for the end, because this, this definition just amazed me. This was the medical definition of a second wind. Let me read it for you. The medical definition of a second wind is this. Recovered full power of respiration after the first exhaustion during exertion due to improved heart action. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. The medical world says what will result in a second wind is improved heart action. And that's what my Bible says, too. My Bible tells me that everything depends on the heart. My Bible says, or Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of, of life. Everything in life springs from the heart. Everything, including that second wind. Saving faith comes from the heart. For with the heart one believes under righteousness. And so the strength we need to go on when we're discouraged, when the rubbish of life is piled up all around us, it starts with our heart. If our heart is right with Him, then we have what we need to find that reserve. We have what we need to get that second wind. If, if we don't feel that second wind, if, we, if we're struggling, if we're so discouraged that we're almost out of the race, we need to pray, God, give me a heart that is right with you. Help my heart to be right. So getting a second wind is primarily a matter of the heart. But here's another thing. Again, not from here, but just from my thinking. Getting a second wind is also a matter of the will. It's a matter of the will. Let me share a few quotes. This is an article. It was entitled, How You Can Do More and Be More. It was written way back in 1923, but it was quoting a psychologist by the name of Stanley Hall. Here's what he said. I think it's just as true today as when he wrote it way back then. He said, most of us do live far beneath the level of our possibilities. We use only a fraction of our lung power when we breathe. We are content to demand of our bodies and our minds much less than they can be made to deliver. Athletes, for example, run until they reach the threshold of fatigue when it seems as if they can push themselves no further, and then suddenly they get their second wind, as we call it. They break through into a second reservoir of energy and can go on with renewed strength. All of us have reserves of energy on which we can draw at will. It is like having a little money in your pocket and a lot more in the bank. Notice what he said. We can draw on them at will. It's a matter of the will. Dr. Piper wrote something about this, John Piper. When people tell him that they've tried and failed and tried and they're just about ready to give up, he'll say, how long did you try? How hard did you exert your mind? The mind is a muscle. You can flex it with vehemence. He quotes Matthew 11:12 and says, Take the kingdom violently. Be brutal. Hold the promise of Christ before your eyes. Hold it. Hold it and don't let it go. Keep holding it. How long? As long as it takes. Fight. For Christ's sake, fight till you win. If an electric garage door opener were about to crush your child, you would hold it up with all your might. You would holler for help. And you would hold it and hold it and hold it and hold it. It's your will. It's your will. You can go on. It's a matter of the will. Gary Price was a former pastor of mine and a dear friend of mine. At one time he said in a sermon, and I knew exactly what he meant because I listened to the whole sermon and got the context, but here's what he said. He said, you're going to do exactly what you want to do. Exactly what you want to do. 
And I understood what he meant. He meant this. He said, no matter the excuse you couch your actions in, no matter the reasoned explanations you might give for, for, for quitting on God or whatever else it might be, the fact is, in the final analysis, it's a matter of your will, and you're going to do exactly what you want to do. Exactly what you will to do. It's a matter of your will. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up. That's why we love the Rocky movies. Because he keeps getting up. That's why us silly Cleveland fans love the Browns. They keep getting up. And then starting over. And over. And over. You can go on further. You might be discouraged. You might be tired. The rubbish might be piled up clear over your head. But you don't have to quit. The fact is you can go on. It's a matter of your will. One last thought that I have, and then I'm done. Getting a second win is a matter of the heart. Getting a second win is a matter of the will. Finally, the path to that second wind has to go through that time of fatigue. It has to go through. You can't experience the former without going through the latter. You can't have the second wind without having the fatigue that necessitated it. Sometimes you have to go through. Sometimes you have to fight on. Sometimes even when you feel like you can't take another breath, you have to force out one more step because the only way you'll ever get the second wind is to get through the fatigue that made it necessary in the first place. William James said, Most people never run far enough on their first wind to find out they've got a second. And I think that's true of many of us. So pray on. Fight on. And remember the Lord. Pray for a heart that won't quit. Fight with a will that won't quit. And keep walking through the rubbish, remembering the Lord who promised and promises victory is waiting on the other side. Then one day the wall will be built. One day the last brick will be laid. One day the race will be won. One day the labor will be over. One day the rubbish will be gone, and your reward will be there before you. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Jesus told us what to look forward to. That day when he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.